Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Advocacy in Pharmacy podcast. This podcast, hosted by ASHP Government Relations Division, provides an update on what ASHP is currently involved in on the Hill at the state level, upcoming advocacy opportunities, PAC fundraisers and strategies in and to increase member involvement with their representatives. My name is Nick Gentile. I am the director of the Political Action Committee and Grassroots Engagement, and I will be your host for today for the ASHP Advocacy and Pharmacy podcast. With me today is Doug Hune, who is the director of federal legislative affairs at ASHP. So let's get started talking about today's topic, which is ASHP's 2021 federal legislative priorities. Now, Doug, what are the 2021 ASHP advocacy priorities in Congress? Hey, Nick, and welcome everyone to the podcast. So our 2021 priorities are actually not that much different than what they were during the the, uh, legislative day and and flying earlier this, this past fall in 2020. The only difference is that our approach has changed a little bit uh, in regards to the new administration and and the slight shift in Congress. As everyone knows, the Democrats did maintain a a majority in the House, although that majority was actually decreased a little bit. And by default, based on the 50-50 split on the Senate side, the Democrats technically have a majority in the Senate because the vice president has the tie-breaking vote. So with that said, a lot of our priorities, as I mentioned before, aren't that uh, dissimilar to, to what they were before. It's just, you know, our strategies have changed a little bit in regards to what we can realistically expect uh, with the new administration or the new Congress. So with that said, you know, there's a couple of things I'd just like to point out before we we get into the, the, the answers to, uh, to that particular question is, first and foremost, as the beginning of any new administration, you know, this was the case of the Trump administration and, and it's now the case in the Biden administration. A lot of times the incoming president wants to kind of set a tone and an agenda for his his administration and his presidency. So what you'll see is a lot of big picture healthcare policy initiatives that they want to introduce usually within the first quarter of, of the new year, the new administration. So a lot of times Congress is, is somewhat handcuffed in regards to what they can realistically expect to introduce and what they can realistically expect to pass. With that said, it doesn't mean that a lot of these advocacy priorities that we're going to introduce in the first quarter aren't going to get, get accomplished or, or get done. It's just a matter of timing and, and when we might be able to see that come to fruition. So with that said, uh, you know, I can run you through some of the, the, the general priorities that we have in line for, for this upcoming quarter and for the remainder of the year. First and foremost, of course, is our ability and, and our desire to address the, the 340B program, in particular, trying to protect the 340B program. Again, this is one of our initiatives during the fly-in, and this is something that we continue to, to, to look at. Another priority is the provider status or provider uh, pharmacist recognition initiative which we have embarked on in the past as well. We are also looking to prioritize the opioid issue in regards to medication management assistance treatments. And lastly, we are looking to prioritize residency funding, which again was something that we looked at earlier uh, in 2020 and continue to do so in 2021. Thanks, Doug. So kind of piggybacking off of what you said with, with our priorities, 
Will the COVID-19 pandemic continue to dictate the agenda for ASHP's advocacy priorities in 2021, or are there more opportunities to address non-COVID related issues? COVID has been, you know, dominating both Congress, the states, and and the presidency for over a year. So I'm just wondering if that'll change and if there's any opportunities for ASHP to to move their agenda forward. So the answer to that is, is, is a mixed bag. The answer is yes and no. As you know, as we mentioned briefly before, Congress is in, uh, on the verge right now of passing the $1.9 trillion economic stimulus bill, which is basically geared towards the, the pandemic. And, and you know, with that said, a lot of the legislation that's going to come out early in the administration and early in this particular uh, 117th Congress is going to be geared towards the COVID-19 pandemic. And so a lot of the policies that you'll see basically kind of center around that particular issue. But there are opportunities as we delve, you know, further into the year and and as we move further along, where we can address some of the, some of the things that that are not necessarily related to COVID nineteen uh, again, such as residency funding or your, even the opioid issue. But for the most part, I, I would say that at least through the first quarter, if not through the second quarter, a large emphasis of the focus is, is going to be placed around COVID nineteen and ways to, to basically address the pandemic. And so while you'll, you'll see some opportunities that might be linked to legislation involving the, the pandemic, for the most part, Congress is not going to necessarily focus on individual or standalone bills that, that don't center around uh, the issue of COVID-19. That's great, Doug. Thanks. So now getting back to the priorities you stated earlier, what's our strategy and what are the goals for protecting the 340B program up on the Hill? Sure. As you know, as we mentioned before, this is this has been a long-standing concern of ASHP and our membership. So I'd just like to note that in December of 2020, ASHP and several other hospital organizations, including 340B Health and the American Hospital Association, sued HHS demanding that number one, it declare manufacturers' refusal to provide 340B discounts illegal. Number two, to take enforcement action against manufacturers that fail to provide appropriate discounts. And number three, require manufacturers to compensate hospitals for lost discounts. Unfortunately, this particular lawsuit was dismissed, but I think what it did was that it kind of put this particular issue back on the radar or for folks in Congress. And as a matter of fact, uh, about a week or two ago, over 200 bipartisan members of Congress sent a letter to HHS asking that the agency take actions that are consistent with the demands in our particular uh, piece of legislation. These actions included calling on HHS to, number one, take enforcement action against manufacturers that fail to provide 340B discounts, and number two, require manufacturers to reimburse hospitals for lost 340B discounts. Again, the Spark Carson letter directly supports a lot of our advocacy goals related to protecting the program. And it should be noted that I, I think that a lot of folks were aware of that particular piece of litigation. And, and again, it was one of those things that, that wasn't lost upon them to, to act appropriately. Now, whether or not this gets done from a political perspective uh, is something that we, we, we still need to, to, to see come to fruition. But I, I do want to say that this is something that we continue to push as one of our priorities. And, and this is something that I think is still on the radar of folks on the Hill and both on the House and the Senate side. And so should Congress request that the Department of HHS take enforcement against manufacturers who fail to comply with the program and, and basically restore full Medicare payments to the sick net hospitals is something to be seen. But this is one of the one of our, our primary asks. And I think that it's 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 bipartisan enough where it, it, it should get some action. 
again, we're at a point now where, you know, we're, we're somewhat beyond the, the legislative phase and, and we're more gearing towards the political ask of, of Congress, just essentially kind of leaning on HHS a little bit to, to take action and to, to basically reemphasize the fact that, that, you know, the preservation of this particular program is vital, you know, to, to, to the patients across the country and, and, and especially to our membership and, and, you know, helping us basically preserve the program uh, that I think, uh, you know, we all know uh, plays a vital role in, you know, the healthcare community. Yeah, you're right, Doug. Now, let, let's get to uh, provider status. I know that's a big issue our members are interested in. You mentioned a possible, you know, reintroduction of of the provider status bill. What would that look like on the Hill and what what's the timeline there? Sure. As many of you know, provider status is still one of those issues that we have been prioritizing back in 2020 and in parts of 2019, uh, as you may recall, we were trying to incorporate a, a smaller version of the original provider status bill. In particular, what we tried to do in 2020 was that we tried to work with other stakeholders and the provider status coalition to introduce legislation that would get pharmacists reimbursed under Medicare Part B for services provided in relationship to you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, such as the, the testing and the administration of uh, COVID-19 uh, vaccinations, testing, and of influenza. Unfortunately, we weren't able to incorporate any of that language into any of the COVID-19 packages, and we weren't able to incorporate any of that particular language into a standalone bill in the previous Congress. And so what we what we look to do uh, as 2021 approached and, and as we are you know, looking at a new administration and a new Congress is that we were working with some other stakeholders, such as the APHA, to uh, essentially reintroduce the original piece of provider status legislation that was introduced in the 115th Congress. So that was, for those of you keeping track, uh, Senate Bill 1109 and, and House Bill 592. And so in regards to what that bill is is going to entail, again, it's, it's basically going to almost be a mere copy of the original legislation. And what it looks to do is that if passed, the bill would ask Congress to allow pharmacists to be reimbursed for their healthcare services under Medicare Part B if their services are provided in a medically underserved community and consistent with the scope of practice law. So essentially, we're looking to, to provide reimbursements in uh, rural areas. The federal agent would not expand upon the types of services that pharmacists are permitted to provide. So again, we're not looking at any, any you know, uh, changes in, in scope of practice. I know that's one of those issues that, you know, certain organizations such as the AMA gets a little sensitive about, but, you know, that's one of the things that we'd like to, to reemphasize is that it does not change the, you know, the, the current scope of practice uh, in regards to uh, the way pharmacists can provide healthcare services. And lastly, a- another logistical item is that to keep it in line with a previous piece of legislation, Medicare reimbursements for pharmacists would, would also be in line with uh, medical reimbursements for other non-physician practitioners in that pharmacists would be reimbursed at 85% of the physician fee schedule, which again, hopefully, you know, doesn't become an issue, uh, particularly uh, when it comes to uh, physician providers uh, somewhat being sensitive to to the scope of practice and, and, you know, um, uh, that particular issue as a whole. In regards to some of the things that we've been doing with provider status, as I mentioned before, the first thing we set out to do was, was to give the opportunity for the previous leaders and, and primary sponsors of the bill in the 115th Congress 
to jump back on board. Um, so we started out on the House side and, and asked Representative Guthrie uh, of Kentucky to do that. Unfortunately, I don't think he's in a position right now to take on the lead again, primarily based on his new position as a ranking member on energy and commerce health subcommittee. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the, the higher up you get uh, in, in rank, the, the less inclined you are to introduce certain pieces of legislation just based for political reasons. We did, however, have a good conversation with the Senate lead, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, and have been working with his staff to potentially introduce something on the Senate side. So I think that, you know, what we're going to continue to do is speak to, to both Senator Grassley and other leaders on the Senate side and in conjunction with talking to folks on the House side to find uh, a new lead and a new champion on the House side. And if everything uh, goes according to plan, you know, we're hoping to perhaps introduce this particular piece of legislation as early as uh, mid-April. That's great, Doug. So, you know, since the pandemic, you know, started over a year ago, the opioid crisis is kind of, I hate to say, but taken somewhat of a backseat to COVID-19. But, you know, in previous Congress, there was the MAT Act, which, you know, I think was kind of gaining some steam. Is there a chance that the MAT Act is reintroduced or how, how do you think our strategy would be to fight the opioid crisis in Congress this term? So to answer this, I'll, I'll just give you a little context in this particular issue. So prior to the to the pandemic, and especially in the 150th and the 160th Congress, the government spent a lot of time addressing the opioid disorder crisis across the country. In previous Congresses, there were close to over 100 bills addressing the issue. Because frankly, folks in the Hill realized what an impact the crisis had on the country as a whole. During that time, ACHP educated lawmakers about the various treatments available to help them combat the disorder including medication-assisted treatment of buprenorphine. But as you know, federal law does not currently recognize health system pharmacists as eligible providers to apply for that X waiver, which would essentially allow pharmacists to prescribe and dispense buprenorphine. So based on that, we had two options. The first option was to introduce a bill which would allow pharmacists to become eligible to apply for the X waiver. And number two, to support the eradication of X waiver altogether, which is kind of uh, leading up to the question that you asked. And so over the past few months, we realized that there were some obstacles with allowing uh, pharmacists to become eligible to apply for the X waiver, mainly because of you know various state laws and collaborative practice agreements that, that basically would prohibit a pharmacist to, to do that, even if there was a federal law put into place. And so we haven't necessarily given up on that particular approach, but I think for the time being, we realized that the more realistic option was to support uh, the elimination of the X waiver program altogether, because namely, it's already been introduced. You know, it, it, it's had some bipartisan support, so I think that it stands a more realistic chance of becoming a law as opposed to just kind of reinventing the wheel. With that said, the Mainstream Addiction Treatment Act has not been introduced this particular Congress. So it's one of those things that that we have been speaking to, you know, to some of the original sponsors to see if, if you know, if, if they would have any interest in doing that. The previous bill in the 116th Congress had some supported. It only had about five sponsors on the on the Senate side, but it had about 117 sponsors on on, on the House side. So again, it had some fairly broad support. Um, it just never you know crossed the finish line. And so the approach that we're taking now is that we are basically going to talk to a lot of folks on the Hill and, and ask them to, you know, reintroduce this particular piece of legislation or 
perhaps introduce legislation that is similar to that. Again, it's it's one of those things I think lawmakers are are very cognizant of the fact that that you know despite the COVID nineteen pandemic, the you know the issue of, of opioid uh, abuse disorder has 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 certainly not gone away. So I think it's one of those things that is still on their radar. Uh, whether or not they um, are going to make a priority still is something that that's, that's left to be seen. But I do know that that's something that at at some point during this particular year that they're, they're going to address. And so again, we're hoping to to to, to bring some more attention to the issue. And we have been actively uh, speaking to folks on both the House and the Senate side to uh, to basically support this particular piece of legislation. Great, Doug. And I want to wrap this podcast up with. Residency funding is a big issue for our members. Where do you see that issue going in Congress and where can ASHP be proactive with it? Sure. So as many of you, uh, I'm sure, where CMS through audits performed by Medicare administrative contractors or, or, or MACs have denied funding for pharmacy residency programs over the past few years through cost disallowances. So a lot of these cases involve arbitrary and inconsistent applications of cost reporting requirements, which were essentially the primary reasons for those denials. So in 2020 um, and in 2019, we met with CMS officials to request that they basically provide a little more clarity to the auditing process so that these programs have a clear understanding of what the protocols are that they need to adhere to in order to be in compliance with the process. And as you may know, uh, it has been somewhat a difficult process to, to engage with CMS. Uh, we did meet with them, but they didn't necessarily provide us with the answers that we felt were clear enough for us to, to, to you know, bring back to our members. So although this isn't necessarily a legislative fix, one of the things that we worked on on the Hill was to, to ask members of Congress to urge CMS to suspend cost disallowances until the agency provides the pharmacy residency programs with, with some more technical assistance including a comprehensive description of what CMS deems to be compliant cost accounting uh, processes. And so, again, this, this is more of a political strategy as opposed to a legislative strategy. Prior to the COVID uh, pandemic hitting, uh, again, we met with a, a lot of program directors and government relations teams from the, from the affected programs to try to coordinate our efforts. You know, over the past uh, few weeks, we've met with members of Congress to talk to them about some, you know, some of the current issues that that we're still facing, we mentioned that uh, the lawsuit that is currently in place in the state of South Carolina with MUSC um, in regards to them suing HHS for basically the the cost of this allowance issue. And so, in that regard, you know, we've had some pretty good conversations with the senators from that uh, state, uh, including Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham. I think those senators that I mentioned in particular. Are, are very aware of the issue. I think that the, they are, are concerned that, you know, this has been going on for, for so many years now. And I, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, we hope to achieve from this particular effort is, is again, just to, to see if, if members of Congress on both the House and the Senate side, and in particular from the states that are affected by this particular issue, to see if they can basically lean on CMS to, to provide that clarity, you know, you know, from a political perspective, as opposed to uh, either a legislative or a regulatory perspective. Doug, thanks for all this really good information. And I look forward to taking some deep dives uh, with individual podcasts on some of these issues. Thank you. 
So that's all the time we have. And I want to thank Doug for joining us today to discuss ASHP's 2021 federal priorities. Be sure that your voice is heard. Visit ashp.org to learn more about key issues, grassroots efforts, and ways that you can get involved in ASHP's advocacy efforts. And look out for future podcasts updating these important issues. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.